You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Yep. Today is the day. You know how you know you're getting old? Well, there's a lot of ways you know you're getting old, but one of the ways is that you get up in the morning on your birthday and you go about your business and you get a text that reminds you, it says, happy birthday. And I said, oh yeah, today's my birthday. You know, so I forgot, but, um, but it's good. Thank you. You know that, uh, by the way, uh, when I was talking to Hudson and I said to him, you know, one person really matters. It's the girl you live with. He's actually married to her. So I want you to, I want you to make sure you know that we didn't hire a youth pastor who's living with someone else. So, cause I'm thinking I might get some emails on that, but, uh, but uh, it's Bree, and uh, that matters, doesn't it? It really matters. So, Well, good morning. Uh, if you're our guest today, we're just, thank you. If you're our guest today, we just want to thank you for being here and hanging out with us. It's a great day. We're going to have a little fun today. I think we are. And uh, I want to, first of all, thank Colin and Hudson and the young adults last week who led us in worship, led us in the Word. It was great. Really appreciate that team. They just do a great job, and uh, I love them. Also send a greeting from the Walkers, uh, Jeremy and Kelly Walker, who uh, kind of grew up here, really, and are now pastoring uh, in Wenatchee, Wenatchee Foursquare Church. So um, Bud and Sherry are here, mom and dad of Kelly. They go to this church. And so I was being introduced by, by Kelly, and she said that Jeremy was going to get up and introduce me, and he was going to tell everyone how much he really knew me. And uh, Kelly said, I knew him before he knew, my husband knew him. So it was kind of a bragging rights. But you know what's so amazing? What I didn't realize is that, uh, that I spoke a long time ago at a baccalaureate that Kelly attended. And uh, she came then, found out it was this church, came here, and uh, committed her life to the Lord. And just loving Jesus meets Jeremy here. Kelly served on staff, and uh, now they're pastoring a church in Wenatchee. So you're you all doing what you're supposed to be doing. We need to make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hey, do this with me. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, this morning to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. We're going to continue worship in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to share communion together, continue in worship. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about Colossians, chapter 2. We're in this series called Risen, and a few weeks ago, you might remember, we covered verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, and today what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 11 through 23. In the first 10 verses, Paul addresses two of five challenges to the gospel and to Jesus Christ, if you remember. Uh, Paul was dealing with a group of people who did not believe that Jesus was supreme, nor was he sufficient that Jesus was actually a sub-God, that he was a good man, an excellent man, but he, he really wasn't God. And this is what Paul addresses through all of the book of Colossians, but here he talks specifically about the different challenges that that church was facing. In the first 10 verses of chapter 2, he warned the Colossians about fine-sounding arguments. He said, you know, people are going to show up and they're going to sound good, and it's going to sound logical, but, but they're really not. Uh, so he talks about that, and then he also addresses deceptive philosophies, and he, he deals with that, and he says, this is very deceptive. Again, it sounds good, 
Uh, it's, it's worldly. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. But you need to be on guard for these things. And so the other three challenges that he deals with in Colossians chapter 2 are in these next few verses. And I want to tell you up front what they are because when we go through the Scripture, you can actually identify them. Because I've used the terminology that Paul uses through the NIV, um, even though he didn't write the NIV. Um, I'm going to use those terms so everybody understands we're on the same page. But the other three challenges through verses 11 through 23, uh, one is legal indebtedness. And uh, it was a group of people, the Jewish people, they were saying, listen, you, you need to hold on to some of the Jewish traditions. You need to, you need to follow the law. And isn't it interesting, and, and maybe you, some of you can identify with this, anytime you're caught in legalism, you're always in debt. The design of legalism is to always make you feel like you're in debt. And you could be the best in legalism. You can be the best in ritual. You can be the best in religion, and you'll always feel behind. You'll always feel like you're in debt. And so Paul lets us know that in verses 14 through 17. And then he addresses false humility. The reason he's talking about that is he's saying these people are going to look really nice and humble and kind. And they're going to talk to you about worshiping angels. They're going to talk to you about all kind of different things. And they come with this human wisdom. And it sounds good, but it's a false humility. And then he addresses in verses 20 through 23, human commands and teachings. So he deals with those three obstacles to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, as we go through this, just be able to identify what's happening there. Uh, Look with me, if you would, starting in verses 11 and 12. Paul says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole life or whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Now, there are two signs that Paul speaks of here. He addresses two things. One identifies with the Jewish custom of circumcision, and this is the sign that you belong to God. I mean, in the Old Testament, it says this is the sign that you belong to God. Well, what he does is he switches and he says, now that you're in Christ Jesus, the circumcision is in your heart, that you've been marked by God in your heart, and that people should know us by our life and our character and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that's how you're marked now. That's what your life looks like now. And that's what he deals with. He talks about the Old Testament. But he says the New Testament sign that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he addresses baptism. So he's kind of putting uh, circumcision and baptism, Old Testament, New Testament, on a plane, and you can compare those. And he's saying now what the sign of following Jesus Christ is really all about, it doesn't save you, he says, but it's an outward sign, a declaration that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says that comes through water baptism. Now this sign points to the inward reality of a changed heart through the work of Jesus Christ. And you've seen water baptism take place here, most recently in Easter. And you see and know that people's lives have absolutely, radically been changed. And uh, they tell their stories of how God has changed their life. And, and I'm going to say this to you. If you're here and you've never been baptized in water, I want to invite you to do that next time we have water baptism. That you would be part of that. Because what you're saying is you're saying, I'm declaring that Jesus Christ publicly 
that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and that I'm going to follow Him and I'm going to get to know Him and I want everyone, I want everyone to know that. And so that's what the Apostle Paul does in this passage. Now, there are characteristics of the Old Covenant. I want to just bring these to your attention because some of them might sound familiar to you and uh, some of them are things we might still even practice that I think we have to look at in our own lives and say, wow, am I living that way? Am I, am I living captivated by the old when I should really be living in the new? I should really be living full of God's Holy Spirit in the new life that Christ has given me. And so characteristics of the old covenant, number one, it kills. I mean, it brings death. That's what it does. That's what the Bible says. When you see that, it, bring, it brings death because you can't, you can't uphold the standards there. It buries you. It brings a physical death or a spiritual death, ultimately physical, but a spiritual death. And then it's written on stone. We know where this, where the, where Moses received the law, and it's written on stone. And then the other thing is that it brought condemnation. Now the law in itself doesn't bring condemnation. It's when we look at the law like a mirror, condemnation comes. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like looking in a mirror and knowing you'll never measure up. I mean, the, the law is a mirror. You're looking at it and you're going, I, I, I'm never going can to, I can't do this. I, this. I can't fulfill this in my life. This is, this is impossible. And because the law kind of stands there as a mirror and we see it, what happens? There's a condemnation that comes from that. We just, we're, we're condemned because immediately we know that there's no way we can fulfill the requirements of the law. Nor could you work or live long enough to catch up with the law. And then he says, here are the characteristics of the new covenant. Uh, opposite of the old, it's of the Spirit of God. That the new covenant is the, of the Holy Spirit of God living and alive in us. Another characteristic, a characteristic is it brings life. So it brings life and brings life abundantly. So I think when you're taking like inventory, spiritual inventory, which I hope you do every now and again, just take time and say, where am I you know, in relationship to the old and the new? Where am I in my relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you're living in a, in a place where there's life coming through God's word, through the presence of God's Holy Spirit, then you're experiencing the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul indicates here. And then another characteristic is that it's written on the tablets of our heart. Um, there's another place in Corinthians where Paul says, uh, you're living letters, you're living epistles. That, that's who you are. That's what you are. It's no longer in stone, but the, 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 the heart of Jesus Christ is seen in your life written on your heart. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That wherever you go and wherever you are, you're representing Jesus Christ. And then go to verses 13 through 15. It says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know what I love about that last phrase? He shamed shame. So Jesus came and put to shame shame. So this is not how we're to live. There's another way to live. Now, please hear this. I want you to, if you can hear anything today, hear this. Salvation in Jesus Christ is not the improvement of the old nature. 
because oftentimes I've seen people do this, we've done this maybe somewhere in your journey, is you, what you, you get caught up in, well, I just got to improve myself. I got to just improve my, my nature. Well, you can't. It's impossible. It's the old nature. The old nature leads you to old things, leads you to sin. So Jesus didn't come to improve your old nature. He didn't come to take you and say, well, let's give you a little remodel, you know, Let's just move a few things around, and we'll improve the old nature. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came for one reason. It was the impartation of a new nature, completely new in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And so Jesus isn't another self-help guru that comes along and takes some things that you got and says, well, let's, we'll just make you better at that. You're still you in your old nature Without the salvation of Jesus Christ. Say amen to that. It's, I'm new because of Jesus. My salvation is alive because of Jesus Christ. We who once were hopelessly far off have been brought near to God through Jesus Christ. I love that, that scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were far off, but now you've been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that word being far off, or that phrase being far off... Uh, doesn't mean that you're just looking at him from a long ways away and you can't get to him. It's saying it's impossible for you in yourself and on your own and in your own strength to get to him. You're so far off, you're hopeless. But through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the cross, his blood has brought us near to God so we can have a relationship with him. Because Jesus was perfect in life and in death, he made atonement for our sins. And abolish the legal demand of death for those who are not perfect. Now, how many in here are not perfect? Yeah, there you go. So we're all included in this. Because there's only been one perfect, one complete, one total, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's made a way for all of us who are not perfect. And in our imperfection, just solely in our imperfection, in our sin, we do not and cannot have a relationship with our Father in heaven. The Bible says the perfect one came, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death, and he rose from the grave. So those that aren't perfect can have a relationship with their Father in heaven now. I'm so thankful for that. Because I'm not sure that, well, I, yeah, I am sure. I, don't, I, I can't get through you know, a whole day without messing up. Maybe even the first five minutes of a day that I'm already shown to be imperfect. How would you like to be chasing that all the time? And because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to. Because of Jesus Christ, we can go and ask Him to forgive us our sins. So God answered every demand placed on us in Christ Jesus. See, through Christ's resurrection from the dead, God declared to all that Jesus is both the Lord and Christ. And you can read about that in another place, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. So our allegiance is to Him. Our allegiance is to Him. And it's not to anything that's man-made or man-made regulations or to demonic demands. You're not subject anymore. It's not like you're out there in the world and whatever happens, happens to you. That isn't the way you live anymore. You live covered and protected through Jesus Christ and that you don't have to bow to your own will. You don't have to bow to sin in the direction of sin. You don't have to bow to demonic powers. You don't have to bow to any of those. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come and our allegiance is to Him now. That's who I follow. I follow Jesus Christ. 
It's not a perfect journey. We know that. But boy, I'm so thankful for the perfect one who saved me. And then you look at Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now go to verse 17 and look at that one word, that word shadow in verse 17. We, we get our word photograph from the Greek word used here for shadow. See, all the Jewish rituals of the law in the Old Testament were like, um, they were like a negative or a picture. They, they were just pictures of Jesus Christ. That's why we say there's the foreshadowing. You see the typologies of Christ in the Old Testament. You see, you hear what I'm saying here. And he's saying what you're seeing there are just little, they're, they're snapshots, they're photographs. They're the negative of what's going to come. That Jesus is going, he is going to come. Now that Jesus has come, we have reality. We worship a real Jesus Christ. So here's the question. So why should we go back and look at pictures when we have the real thing? You see, Jesus is current in your life today. And I know oftentimes my references to Jesus are usually and can be typically something that happened three or four or five days ago or a year ago or, or five years ago. And there's kind of what we say might be the glory days when, in fact, you don't have to keep those snapshots. They're wonderful. You have the real Jesus today, his presence in your life today. He'll never leave you or forsake you today. So you can experience him today. It's not past tense. It's present tense. It's right now. That you can have a relationship with Jesus this very moment. This very moment. Um, I grew up in some turbulent times. I grew up in the um, formative years. We're in the 60s and 70s. And uh, that rough, rough time for, for our country and for the world. And uh, saw some of my older friends get shipped off to Vietnam. Some of them didn't come back. Um, some of them did. And what was interesting is a lot of those guys got married right before they left. You know, they got married and they took off and, and served their, their tour in Vietnam. And uh, I'll never forget this, this one gal who got married right before her husband was shipped out. She always carried, it was in church, she always carried this kind of big picture of him, you know, showing everybody, this is my husband, you know, this is my husband. She was so proud that this was her husband and she would show everybody. And uh, when he finally was, uh, came back home, she was there to greet him, and I know this for sure. She didn't have to pull out the picture to recognize who her husband was. She could keep her picture in her purse and know that's him right there. See, what she was looking at was a shadow of who he, who he, who he is. We don't have to look at the shadows. We can look him, the Bible says, face to face. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, and it's real today. And I think that might be one of the reasons we struggle a bit is we're keeping in our minds the pictures and not the reality of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus says you can know him and have a relationship with him today. I love that. It's beautiful. You know, let's stop carrying around old pictures of Jesus when we have him here right now. Paul says this, he says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. This very moment, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that you have a story to tell of what Jesus has done in your life. And that story gives others hope. We use the phrase often around here is your courage to be vulnerable gives others hope. 
your courage to tell your story, your God story, your Jesus story, telling others whatever that is, good, bad, and ugly of the whole thing, gives other people hope. It gives them hope. Jesus in you is the hope of glory. That he stamped his image on you. His image is in you. And then Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 It says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualifying you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about people in that church in Colossia that were spiritual snobs, <laughs> that Jesus wasn't enough for them, so they went and looked for other things. Sound familiar? I mean, there's things and occasions in the history of, 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 of church together where people are saying, well, I'm not just settling for Jesus Christ. I want to get into the angel thing, and I want to get into you know, predicting the second coming and all those kinds of things. Listen, folks, it's going to happen when it happens. And there's nothing you can do to make it happen any quicker or put it off any longer. Do you know that? It's good to know what the Scripture says, but it, the Bible says only the Father knows when that second coming is. And there have been more goofy things around the rapture or the second coming of Jesus Christ probably than anything else. Uh, I think it was, was it 1988, if you remember? There was the, uh, he's coming and there are 88 reasons he's coming in 88. I don't know. And that was my first year pastoring. I thought, oh, great. I step into a controversy, you know. Uh, Pastoring with that, and then the election started. And I'm thinking, ah, these are the last places you want to pastor during those times, you know, those seasons. So I, you know, what I did, and I'll just tell you this. I, I, um, one of my buddies and his family was in uh, San Francisco. They were on vacation. And he was kind of worried. He was worried that, uh, you know, there was going to be Jesus coming and earthquakes were going to happen. And there was predictions of earthquakes and all kinds of things like that. And so I called him on the phone, and I acted like an AT&T operator. I said, hello, uh, Mr. So-and-so, this is your AT&T operator. I want you to know that Portland, Oregon has been declared a non-earthquake zone. And he freaked out. He thought that there had been an earthquake, and he starts yelling to his family, there's been an earthquake! There's been, he starts yelling, and I said, sir, no, we haven't had an earthquake. Where are you right now? And he goes, San Francisco. I said, sir, do you know the likelihood of an earthquake in San Francisco is much greater than one in Portland, Oregon? And he goes, well, you know what? That's what I thought. <laughs> and I called his name out, and he, goes, he, got, he paused, and he goes, oh, you're kidding me. Are you messing with me? I said, yeah, man. I can get, you can get into people's heads when they think certain things are going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Listen, we know that Jesus is in control and that he's in charge. And we trust in him. I mean, he keeps your life full. And here's what we want to say here. Our, our preoccupation must be with Jesus Christ and him only. Our, our appeal is to the Holy Spirit who makes available every good thing that we need for life in Jesus Christ. So here it is. Keep the main thing the main thing. Maybe you've heard that around here. It's so important we keep the main thing the main thing. And over the last 30 years that I've been here and even longer in ministry, I've seen people just go off the rails because they haven't kept the main thing the main thing. And what we want to do here is continue and always and only serve and worship Jesus Christ. That's what we want to accomplish. And then Colossians 2, 20 through 23 
says this, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Basically, it's saying people who live life subjected, everything is subjected uh, are, are under the religious law of the, of, of, for the body. You know, eat this, drink this, you've got to do it this way. When you get up, you've got to live this way. Paul's saying, listen, those are just human commands, and they're not profitable. Paul ends this argument by declaring that our focus should not be on outward behavior. Uh, things like eating and drinking and, and, and touching the unclean, um, he's saying it's all irrelevant. Don't satisfy yourself with things of the flesh, rather with God's spirit. And I think that's true that we want to be in, in touch with every single day is I want to make sure that what I'm being satisfied by is the filling of God's Holy Spirit in my life. And that if satisfaction comes any other way, it's time for me to stop and ask the question, why? Why is this, this thing or this action, whether, is, whether it looks good or is good or bad, I mean, it's just saying, I, I don't want to be fulfilled by anyone else or anything else. I want Jesus Christ to fill me. I want His Holy Spirit to fill me. And that's what Paul addresses here. He says, listen, this is the way that we ought to live. It is totally dedicated and focused on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Paul makes it very clear here. This is the way that we should walk. Stay away from strange philosophies and, and, and fine-sounding arguments and all those kinds of things. He's saying stay away from that. Stay away from that. I want to do this. I'm going to take this last few minutes and talk to you about something that every now and again we talk about here, and I just want to address this. I want to bring it up. I want to take just a few minutes this morning and talk to those who call Canby Foursquare their church home. If this is your church home, I'm talking to you, okay? Um, if it's not, you can listen in, okay? So we just want you to know that. Um, you know, this church has always, always been known for its generosity, it's so almost anywhere you go in the world, any people you contact or come in connection with, one of the first things or qualities or characteristics they, they speak of when they speak of you is they speak of generosity. You know, and I, I, I think that there's reasons for that. Obviously, it's, it's your, what grace God has given us. Um, it's, it's the work of God's Holy Spirit. But I don't know if you know this. There were two decisions made early on uh, that I think God has really blessed. And I want to tell you, two decisions that were made 30-some years ago that I think gave us the track to run on to be generous people. Can I do that? Uh, one is this. Um, when, I, when I arrived here, uh, I found out in a short period of time that there was a season past that we had, not, we had not tithed, we had not given as a church, and we believe in that. We practice that. Um, I was a little startled, but I thought, okay, what we need to do is we need to take care of this and we need to tithe. And I sat down with the council and said, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna start tithing again because we haven't for 18 months. We haven't tithed. And it makes me a bit nervous because I don't want the enemy to have any foothold on us or you. I don't want a foothold. And so what I did is I called our district office, those that we're responsible to, 
And I said, we're going we're gonna to start tithing next week. I mean, immediately. But we're also do this. <laughs> we're also, and I used this phrase. I said, we're going to, we're going to back tithe. <laughs> we're going to catch up the 18 months. And, and the guy on the other end on the, uh, the phone, he said, I've never heard of anyone back tithing. I said, well, I don't want a foothold. These are great people. This is a great church. It's primed to do great things. If I leave that door open, I'm going to be thinking, is that the reason why we're facing some difficulty here and not experiencing the blessing of the Lord? Do you get that? Now, now I know the Lord's not harsh. I know He's gracious, but I also know there are principles to live by, and these are principles that I know I'm to live by. And so I told this guy, who was the business, the business administrator of the district, I said, we're going to do this, and can you give us like a year to do this? We'll tithe, and then we'll back tithe the same time. So we're going to do double duty, you know? Here's what's great. I came before the congregation like I'm doing here, and I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start tithing, and we're going to also back tithe. And I said, I've given, they've given, I've given them a year to, so we can catch up with back tithe. Did you know that it was three months later we were all caught up from, the, from back time? I thought, wow, there's something here, something good here. There's a grace that's here. That decision to do that, I think, has helped us. It's kept us in a posture of being blessed, and in, when we are blessed, we see it because we know God's grace is working in our lives. But there was also another practical decision that was made and the decision was that our, our mortgage, our property payment, would not go over a particular amount, percentage, according to the general fund. You following me on this? And here's the reason. The reason is, is if God came and said, I want you to plant a church on the East Coast, or I want you to plant a church in Colorado, or I want you to send out missionaries to Africa, the first response would not be, how is this going to impact our mortgage? That should never be your first response. Your first response when God asks you to do something should always be yes. We will go, Lord. We will go. And so we made that decision, and that decision holds up to today that our mortgage is only 6 to 7% of our general fund. Can you imagine that? And the reason we've held to that is because we're here to make disciples that make disciples for Jesus, and we don't want to be hindered in that pursuit. Are you following me on that? So these two decisions had made a big deal 30 years ago, and we're still living with the benefit of those. So generosity, hear this, generosity is how the gospel of Jesus can change so many lives. You want to know how, how the gospel changes people? It's through your generosity. You're thinking, well, how, what does that mean? Well, generosity is the gospel in action. You, you, you do know that. Generosity is the gospel in action. Anyone know what the most often quoted scripture in the Bible is? Most often quoted verse? Take a shot. Some of you got it. I heard it over here. John 3.16. Most quoted. Most quoted. I looked it up just to make sure I was accurate. It is John 3.16. did not surprise me. Now, when you think of John 3.16, if you know what it says, I think the first thing I know comes to my mind the first time I read it was this incredible blessing that I get for following Jesus or believing on Jesus Christ, that, that eternal life is mine and I will not perish. I mean, that's the first thing that stands out. But honestly, what made that possible was the first part of that verse. For God so loved the world... 
that he gave. He was incredibly, eternally generous with us. When you take the gave away, it only becomes a theory. It becomes a nice thought. It just is theology. When you insert the gave that he gave, he didn't just think about it. He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know if you've ever thought John 3, 16 to be a scripture on giving and generosity. It is, to my, to my knowledge, the number one verse on giving and generosity. Because God gave, you now have eternal life. Because God was so generous, I now have eternal life. So what does that mean to me? Well, that means once I receive, I give. I give so that others can experience what I've experienced in being saved and experiencing the incredible, incredible generosity of Jesus Christ. When we are here today because of God's generosity, and we're here today because of the generosity of others. Would you, I say amen to that. I mean, I look around and I'm thinking, man, I'm so thankful for the generosity of so many people in my life, but especially God. He was so generous with me. So here's our bottom line. We do this every now and again. Um, when we go into a new year, January, February, and March, those two, three months are typically our lowest giving months historically. They're just, that's the way it is. Just letting you know, that's, we see it, we know it. We say, okay, it's going to be January, February, March. Here it comes, batting down the hatches. It's coming, you know. But this January, February, and March, it was true again. What was different is it was even lower than our usual low. It was 20% lower than our usual low. And I feel a responsibility to tell you that. I feel a responsibility to say that. I don't talk about this a lot, but I think I need to tell you this. And because we run things pretty lean, uh, the place, uh, the downturn hurts uh, is the efforts that we make to make disciples and make disciples for Jesus because that's what we do. I've told you we've commit so much to that. We really do. We commit so much. You know, in the last four to six weeks, we have, um, we have been able to witness and be part of 40 to 60 uh, new believers, people who've just come to faith here at this church. 40 to 60. That is incredible. I love that. And so we are doing that. We're reaching community. Uh, four or 500 Easter egg hunters. <laughs> that, that was a blast. Uh, VBS is coming up, and this place, this, this campus just, it, it resounds. It sings out Jesus Christ's love. Um, and especially for the young people and families of this community. Canby Cares is coming up. It does the same thing. We're involved in Lunch Buddies. We do a lot of things in the community. Listen, discipleship is amazing around here. I, I honestly don't know very many other churches, and I'm not singing our praise, but I don't know very many other churches that take it so seriously and give so much resource to see discipleship happen. Life groups, rooted, CBC, internship. Can I say this? I want to make it, I, I, I want to make it almost impossible for you to say to me, I can't find a place to follow Jesus in this church. Because if you do, it's not true. Because there are a bunch of places. And I look around, I think, wow, this is good stuff. Life groups, rooted, CBC, internship, a bunch of things. So how, how do we need to respond to what you're hearing right now? 
um, in the months ahead? Well, number one, I, I need to ch- teach a little more on giving because I, I, I shy away from that. And so I apologize. We should not do that. Uh, but we need to teach a little more. Uh, we need to keep a close eye on, on spending, which we do. We want to continue to do that. Uh, we're not extravagant around here. We're, we're really not. And I want to report back to you on occasion. One of the big reports is coming November 18th. You can mark it on your calendar. You're going to get a fiscal report on uh, November 18th of where we've been this fiscal year. Our fiscal year starts September 1st and ends August 31st. That's just the way it's all set up. And so I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you, if you call this your home, your church home, I want to encourage you to give. Do that. Now, if you're in this church and it's your church home and you've never given, start giving. Just start doing it. People say, well, how do you start giving? Start giving. That's going to be my great... That's going, I'm sorry I don't have a lot of other answers for that because that's how I did it. I don't know what to say about it. You know, start giving. How do you start, how do you start doing that, Pastor? Write a check. Give, you know, start giving... And I would say this, make it regular. Make it a discipline in your life to do that. That's huge. If you already have been giving, thank you for your generosity and thank you for your faithfulness. I know I'm one that already gives, but we take time, Annette and I do take time, and we look at everything in our lives and our finances, and we say, wow, we could give more to this great kingdom venture than we are giving. We do that. It's part of what we do. I can't imagine being part of any other venture except the kingdom of God that has such great return over a few thousand years that we're seeing and will continue to have a great return in the future. Paul said, are you not my reward? Are you not my crown? Is it not you when we see each other in heaven? We're going to look around and say, wow, wow, we were really connected. We really worked at making disciples that make disciples. And the other thing that I'm going to finish with, and we're going to take communion, and this is so important because we're talking about future, we've never really gone after and talked about what our legacy looks like. And our legacy will always be connected to generosity. Do you know people who you know that have a great legacy are generous people? Like, have you ever connected? It's always synonymous. It always is. I want us to be known down the road, even when we're gone, that our children's children can say, I grew up in a generous church, and they took care of us. And so down the road, we're going to be looking at talking about legacy giving. What does that look like? I mean, what does that look like? I'm looking at it now, too, because I'm 62 today. Just thought I'd wait to tell you that. So, I have to, hey, I have to pay attention to that stuff. You know, when I was 30, I was going, <laughs> who cares? You want some money? We'll just throw it out, you know, carefree. Uh, now, you know, uh, I want to look at that and say, how do I help the legacy of the gospel go further through Camby New Life Foursquare Church, and I want to do that. So that's where God has us right now. You need to just know that's where we're at. Uh, what I want to do right now is I want to pray. Just close your eyes, and I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to invite our uh, worship team to come forward, if they would. But I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit just to touch your life um, and ask God to create a, if you don't have it there, create a generosity in your own life um, that when you're asked to, by God's Holy Spirit, to give, you're not thinking immediately about what you're losing. You're actually thinking about what you're gaining. That's huge. That's the difference right there. Um, Lord, I want to uh, be that person. In any area that I've held back where I've not been generous with my resources, I've not been generous with my time, uh, forgive me. I want to be known, and I want Canby Square to be known as a generous place. 
because it's through the generosity of so many people and your generosity toward us that the gospel is set free to change a world. God so loved that he gave. And because you gave, we have eternal life. It's amazing. So let us pass that life on. Let us be people who are known, continually known for being people who are generous like God has been generous with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you say amen? You got to say it a little louder because it was a giving thing. So you got to say it a little louder. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You leave here a little insecure as a pastor sometimes. Going, oh, I wonder how that went. Um, but it has to be said. These are things that need to be said. You know, we're going to come to the Lord's table, and I think this all works together. Um, I, 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 so many times I talk to you about what thought a table invokes. When you see a table, you walk into a room and you see a table set. What are some of the first thoughts that come into your mind? I mean, I, first, one of the first things I think of is they were ready for me. Their hospitality is right there. They're ready for me. You know, the other thing I think about when a table's set when I come into a room is I think about the generosity of the host. That they had to take some time and put that together and prepare a meal or to do the things that need to be done so that I can sit down and enjoy what's on the table. We said earlier that God has been so generous with us that he gave. And I think today when you come to the tables, two here and two in the back, would you focus on his generosity because he's prepared a table for you. He's prepared a place for you in the presence of your enemies. In a world that's hard and tough and rough, he's prepared a place that's full of peace. It's his generosity. And then when you come to the Lord's table today, just thank him, would you? Have a gratitude in your own heart for the generosity of our Father in heaven who cares for each one of his children. That's what I'm thinking about today. When I see this table set, I'm thinking, you are amazing that you have prepared a way for me through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, your only son, which you sacrificed. You gave him on my behalf so that I could live eternally with you. When you come, know that the uh, bread represents the broken body of Jesus that the cup represents the blood of Jesus. That's what speaks loudly to us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood and his body was, was made available so that we could have everlasting life. You can also come in the, the containers on the table, bring your prayer requests, prayer cards. I love to read those and pray over you and, and pray together. Uh, we bring our gifts, our tithe and our offering is what we do for those that call this their church home. We bring that as well. But the most important thing we bring here today is ourselves. We say, Lord, here I am, a living sacrifice to you, to follow you. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord, I love that word, I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just do this every time you get together. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Remember His generosity today. Just remember your Father's generosity for all of us uh, today. I want you to just take a few moments, sit before the Lord quietly. Um, Kathy's just going to sing us a special song and just rest and hear what He wants to say to us. And then once she's finished, we'll have the overheads invite us to the table. You'll know when it's time to just come to the table. But come and experience God's generosity. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.